Good morning, everyone. This is Stacy with LSDS, and we are back with a new addition to the Dynamic Leadership Series. And this time, we've got a first-time guest with us, and this topic is also going to require a little bit of a backstory intro. And I'm looking forward to hearing about this one from these two. So first off, let's start with some introductions. I have Terry Peters here with me again, the CEO of Leader Solutions and Decision Support. Hi, Stacy. Good morning, Terry. And we have with us a first-time guest, Sean Bayless, who works with Riot Games as head of their marketing audio team. Sean, welcome. And please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, thanks. It's awesome to be here, Stacy. It's good to be with you and Terry. I've been a sound designer and a mixer for all sorts of media in my career. These days, I run a team at Riot Games. And what that really means is in the day-to-day, I'm responsible for putting the right people in the right position with the right tools and mindset to create incredible experiences for our audiences. I'm accountable for how Riot's side of the organization functions, or I should say the Riot Audio side of the organization functions, and our approach to the service and support of the rest of the company. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And so you kind of brought this topic up. So we're going to get into that in a little bit here. So our topic today for this one is retros and AARs. But before we get into that for everyone, how did we get here? So Terry and Sean, what is your history? How did you guys meet? Oh, man. Terry, do you want to go first or you want me to go? Sean, I think it's probably better from your perspective because there's a (laughs) few miles behind us now. So yeah, yeah, it sounds good. We met when LSDS was running a curriculum for frontline leadership, and they had built this for Riot. It was a really dynamic, unconventional approach to teaching how it is to be both a leader and a follower. Early in that course, Terry asked everyone what they were there for. And up to then, my experience in the media industry, I had never really been in a leadership position And so I was really there to learn how to follow better. If I could understand the mechanics of leadership and how a small team works, I'd be able to contribute better. I was selected as a participant, and I was just completely fascinated by the whole thing. There's little to no focus on team-oriented professional development in most of the media industry that I've been exposed to. It's a place where your creative craft is your contribution, and that's really what you need to master. But What Terry and LSDS did was show me a version of work where small team leadership and strategic leadership was a craft unto itself. It was not a secondary role. That was really something that you had to master beyond just the the finite thing that you do for myself that was sound design and mixing. I'll speak a little bit about the way this was all developed. First, I have to give incredible recognition to Riot's leadership because they, in essence, came to us and said, hey, we'd like you to help us build the bench and we'd like you to really of leadership throughout creative space. And what we'd like you to do is really tap into your special operations background as well as find best practices. But more importantly, give every individual the opportunity to learn challenge convention and also uh, build a safe-to-fail environment. So we really went at this from a blank piece of paper standpoint. What we created was two weeks of interactions, uh, most of it academic in the first week, solving real problems for the organization with young leaders. And then we took them out to a remote setting. And with the understanding of 
the mechanics of leadership really put them in really abstract problem solving mode. And so what you had was a, a group of people who had a, a genuine desire to learn and evolve. And you had a group of people from a very different background offering an opportunity for them to excel. And Sean, like many others, came through and were kind of wide eyed by the process of <laughs> We're really going to give you total ownership of a day if you're a leader and people are going to respond to you. And then when the day is over, they're going to tell you how you led them and how you might consider leading them better. And then we reset that repeatedly for leaders, all the while lacing in the understandings of leadership, teamwork and followership so that we gave them an opportunity to level up. And not only did Sean do that. He came back for other interactions for strategic design and implementation and other other opportunities that we were allowed to put together for select folks at Riot. So really great. And since then, as we do with so many of our uh, our folks, our friends that we interact with, Sean and I have kept up over the ups and downs of life. Right. And I think that's, yeah. that's uh, something that we try to do with everyone to understand how they're doing, the situations they're involved in and offer perspective long after agreements are finished, if you will. Yeah, that was, you know, one of the things, Terry, that (laughs) I think about pretty frequently is early on in our relationship, you had said to all of us who were doing this thing that your commitment was long term. And in a lot of cases in in life, you will hear people say things like that. And you go, okay, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's long term until it's not anymore. And you wouldn't believe it, but here we are. What is this? Maybe seven years later, something yeah. like that. And plus, yeah. And we still talk regularly and it truly is, you know, you guys provide a, a long term commitment in this space. And that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And we have so much to learn every day. We began to work with. Wyatt and many other companies that are in the tech space and, and doing amazing things for their audiences. We have so much to learn. And so it's been a mutual exchange of learning and growth. So mm-hmm. man, thanks, thanks for all of your time, Sean. I love this. So seven years plus, and we're here at this point still discussing things. You guys met up recently, correct? Over on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And this topic came up. Tell me a little bit about how you got to this topic. Yeah. So Terry mentioned that he was going to be in town in Los Angeles and we got together at a little pizza spot, a couple beers, a couple pizzas, and just decided to talk. One of the things that came up was one of these little mechanics that everybody is deeply interested in, in the business world, the, the world of feedback. How do you figure out if you're doing well or you're doing poorly? What was the plan? Is it happening? Did it go well? All these questions that, that help you course correct. They seem like simple things for all of us to do. It seems like a a reflex that you should have built in, but oftentimes they're not. And and what is it about retros, postmortems, after actions, whatever you call it? What is it about those things that we want to do with them? And then also what is so hard to do in that space? Yeah, and it was a great conversation. Sean, thanks for <laughs> picking a great pizza place. That was awesome. But <laughs> yes, no, pretty, pretty amazing human. <laughs> she was so, happy to meet you, Terry. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. So Stacey, in our conversation, what we talked about is I, I'm sure some of the stuff that we'll talk about here, but it was where did these things, how do you, how do you know they're set to be right out of the gate? This learning process. It's a system, retros, AARs, you know, postmortems. 
are, are part of the processes of any good organization. When they're going right, they're magical, right? Because focused people are in a room reflecting on key moments and they're capturing tasks or actions that need to be accomplished so that the system evolves, the process evolves, and the organization moves farther, faster in the next project or program. Where it gets off track is when it's not energized by a leader, the system doesn't start early enough, the discussions don't yield real tasks or missions to accomplish after, and so there's no real evolution that happens. There's no organizational learning that occurs. And so, you know, Sean and I are kicking this around, and and then my uh, Stacy light went off, and, and I said, man, we had to talk to Stacy because I think this would be a great podcast. So that took about half a second of convincing for you, and here we are. So I love it. I love good podcast topics, and this is a really fun one. So, you see, thank let me, you guys. so let me let me interject here. Every time you know when you're talking with Terry, every time he pulls out a piece of paper and a pencil, you're never quite sure what's happening. <laughs> But that is exactly what happened. And he, and he goes, don't worry. It's just for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and now here you are. So <laughs> thank you. That's, so that's, that's, that is the truth. That is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, is, this is perfect. So pizza led to this. So here we are. And first question. So Sean, we're going to get into this. I'm going to start asking yeah. some questions here. You've put up a lot of really good notes. Terry, we're going to get your thoughts in here on this as well for everybody. What is a retro and why is it important? So my dad was a a biology and chemistry teacher. And early on, I started to sort of appreciate how the same concepts in, in the natural world apply to all things. And so when I think of organizations, I think because my dad, I really look at those as really complex organisms and they all have these these processes to them the same way that that a cell or a body or anything else does and it for me uh retro is a chance for that organism that really complex structure to learn from lived experience and adapt to that experience so it's something that we do all the time as human beings. It's our cognition, our ability to analyze and adapt to a thing that has happened to us. And we rarely notice it. You know, day to day, you may do this hundreds of times, but when you are part of a larger structure, any business, that becomes more of a, it's a process that's not quite a reflex that you, you do unconsciously. You really have to focus on that thing and go through the same process. And if you can do it at, at lightning speed, the way that anybody does just to themselves, if you can do that as a group of people, that's when you start to really adapt quickly to a changing environment or changing conditions and be able to, to affect your space in the business world. There's that magic Terry was talking about before when these go right. So this has. You said you've used it a lot Mm -hmm. and you use it regularly with your work right now. What are the most important parts from your perspective that you've seen of a retro? Yeah, absolutely. So there's really a few things. There's the timing of it. A lot of folks will try to put a little distance between an event that they want to retro and their actual process for that retro. And in my opinion, everything is better fresh, even if it's emotional. Let's say you have a project that goes particularly poorly. You don't necessarily want to let 
the aggregate emotions of the group in understanding that this thing didn't go as well as we wanted to. You don't want to let that go and let a new project pop up and just sort of wipe the slate clean. You want to capture that. You can break down a retro into a, a couple different phases. And if data capture is one of those phases, you should do that as quick as you can after something happens. And I would say doing it mid-flight is not a bad idea as well. We had run a retro in a piece of work that we were doing many months ago that was right smack dab in the middle and actually corrected a lot of things that would have been going off the rails early. And that stuff didn't end up happening. Our, our theory is that it didn't end up happening because we took that time to sit down and talk about what's the plan, what is happening, what's going well, what's going not so well. The second thing that I think about all the time is what in psychology, I think they call the bystander effect. And that is the idea that if something is is happening, an emergency is happening, oftentimes someone's response to that emergency will be somebody else is going to take care of it. There's an expert who will come in and save this situation, and I'm not that person. But I think when you approach a retro, you have to be conscious of our reflex to do that thing, to say this isn't necessarily my problem. You should take complete ownership over every single thing that you possibly can that has gone wrong. And that extends to things that go right as well. You know, nobody ever does anything positive in a vacuum. It takes a team to do things really well and really smoothly. And you should be able to identify the processes, the roles, everything that led up to things going really smoothly. Getting sort of brass tacks with that, you need to clearly assign who is going to do what by when after you do a retro. So you you fill the chart with data and then you say, if these are the actions that we're going to take after this retro, Stacy, this is your job. You're going to get it done by November. Terry, this is your job. And then this is going to be Sean's job as well. The last thing is, I think I want to go back to that idea of ownership. So if we have our, our three topics, our timing, the bystander effect, and then finally ownership, you have to be willing to cognitively get into a place where you take ownership over things that weren't necessarily your fault. You say, I did have agency at some level over that thing. Did I put a person in the wrong position? Did they not have the tools that they needed to succeed? Given the the conditions of of their approach to problem solving, was I doing everything I possibly could to make sure that they were a success? And if you can do that in a healthy way, that doesn't uh, break you down over time psychologically, making everything your problem. If you can be willing to say it is my problem, but also there are things that everyone needs to do to contribute, then I think you're in a really healthy space. And hopefully that means that you're on a, a team that functions well, because it's all people who are contributing holistically and saying that one little thing that everybody else isn't thinking of, but I know internally that's my space. I have agency over that. I can do something about that. That's a great place to be. I love that objectivity to be able to have that where you can take that ownership, but not let it weigh you down and sink you too. So that was, exactly, yeah. I really like that obser- observation. And I do want to, I want to go back up to the timing piece real quick because sure. I really liked where you talked about not letting that emotion get too far away before you do an AAR yeah. is, and, and just being really honest with yourself in that space. And I think people being able to get there is really 
that'd be such a healthy space to be too, to be able to observe your emotions and own it. Is there benefit though too to doing an AAR later when those emotions have cooled down a bit as well and be able to compare the two? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, you can, you can break down an AAR into a few different phases. That data collection phase, you can do early on if you want to capture those emotions. And then the analysis portion can happen later. And there is a, there's an aspect of looking at a process and analyzing it that's more litigious than it is touchy feely. It's, it's about bullet pointing again. What was the plan? And then what actually happened? And I, I actually have been in a couple retros where this starts to get that process. What you think is a, is a straightforward list of events and a timeline can get emotional for people because everybody has a different perspective from where they sit in a team on what happened when and how did that feel to them? Did it go well? Did it not go well? They bring a lot of their personal experience into that. And it can be hard to just list straight up what happened during this project. So if you can gather as many perspectives as possible and put together that story of what happened in the team, you've already gotten a lot more clarity than you normally would have. You've really dug into the process that you all went through and, and, tried to find what was real in that process. What wasn't just perspective. Right. Uh, full, full context. I like that. The full story, full story of everything that was in there. Thank you for covering that one again. So why, why are retros so hard to do? <laughs> sure. Do you have any thoughts on this one? <laughs> hey, yeah. So, so, so I want to, I want to cover a couple things, Sean, that you mentioned already and just, I, I think just provide some reinforcement. First, I think there is this balance of harnessing passion versus letting too much time elapse. And I think where passion turns into potentially conflict is when if you get if your team is open to honest discussions, at some point they're going to identify where management of a process failed or could use some real help or where leaders could have made a different decision. Uh, and or the factors that are associated with that decision. And it's tough. I mean, it, it's tough to be a leader responsible for anything and realize that the, sometimes the subtle and if you're working with Kevin, not so subtle comments are pointed at you. And I think that's that's extremely important for folks to understand. But it's not a it's not a personal attack. It's just, hey, we want to make the organization better. We need to determine what what we need to adjust. And that falls into in the world that we work in here about four different big buckets, if you will. And so I think it, it's extremely important. And so to the point of Stacy, the question of where do they go, where do they go wrong? Often they, they're an afterthought, right? Hey, we finished the thing and now we need to talk about it. And I'll tell you that if it's going to work right for you, thinking about the end needs to be at the very beginning. And every project that we start, Stacy, you know this, we start a lessons learned notes immediately. Everyone keeps a log, a daily log, ops log comes by many forms of the key events. Meetings are recorded so that we can go back to them and then milestones are kept up with early, late, what happened. And so that when it comes to time for us to do those, we've got a whole lot of input. And then the other part that we leverage here is we get ops involved very early on 
because ops is that entity that takes ideas and turns them into processes and then takes retros and, and uh, lessons learned and gets them into tasks for development. Then other things that will cause them to get off track, and Sean, I'll, I'll pause after this comment, but is people aren't committed to the process, right? It is extra time. It is something that has to be done. But if you've got a team that hasn't seen the results of giving this time in the past, then often it's hard to bring them back to the table with the ability to focus and provide legitimate input because they feel like we're just checking a block. And so I think that's another key factor. And and that's a leader task, right? Uh, especially if you've you've just arrived at a team that's say mid stride in a project and you realize that you need to do one of those midpoint AARs or lessons learned and you're trying to get people to come to the table and they're, they're reluctant. This is just going to require leader application to get them to understand that you are going to take action and you are going to drive change. Sean. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Stacy, I had written you a few different things about why retros are so hard to do and as I was thinking about those, I think I really changed the way that I approached the question. And, and it was it was a lot more practical. It was what what are the feelings that you have as someone who's challenged to do a retro that make them so hard to do? What are just the, the top note things that come to mind? And, and there's two of them. Terry already touched on them. One is often tempo. I have too much to do. I don't have time to look back at other things. I got another, I got three other projects already in the pipe when this one is finally shipping. So why or do I have time even to go through this process with anyone? And the second is really about what have you learned in the past from doing these? If, like Terry had just mentioned, if leaders don't commit to lessons learned and following up on those and making sure that it's known that action is being taken and that action is actually going to have impact in the future, people will learn that retros don't matter after actions don't matter because no matter what people say, it's really just a group therapy session. Let's just, let's air the dirty laundry. We can all get out of here, feel a little bit better and we'll go on to the next 30 things that we have to do by the end of tomorrow evening. If you can, as a leader, stop those two things from happening by saying, we always have time. Even if we only take 10 minutes to do this thing, let's look back at it. And then the the second thing being, you can say, I'm going to commit to actually making this work out for you. You have to show people that their investment, even if it's only 10 minutes, is going to generate four, five, six, a, a laundry list of things for you to do as a leader, new things that you have to change about the organization to make the process better for people. You have to make it known that that stuff is going to happen. And if you do those two things, if you pause time for your team a little bit and you actually instantiate change after a retro or an AAR, I think people start to do it more as a reflex. There's no more question. It's not a challenge at the end of a project to say, you know, oh, let's let's sit down and talk about this, even though, you know, it might not do anything. It's just a learned ingrained behavior because you want the next one to go better or you want to know what went so well with this one that you need to really sustain. And that's awesome. It's making it part of the project, not just an extra thing to Absolutely. do between yeah. projects. Right. I know, like Terry said, that's what we do in the company a lot. And it's part of whatever you're working on that is part of the project. So that 
box isn't completely checked until we are afterwards. So I like yeah. that perspective. That is really huge. Anything else, Gary, we're going to say? Something? I was going to say, Stacey, one of the things that, that you do at every interaction you and I have, and, and whether it's just the two of us or with other folks is you, you, you pause at the end and you say, let me just review who will own what and deliver it by when. Right. And I think that's something is, is key. And that's just part of how you work and, and therefore the people that you are you responsible for how they work. And I think once this begins to be part of an organizational culture, right. And it is what you do. It takes on a, it takes on a momentum all its own. And then there's this other key step like that is often overlooked, but is so vital is once it's all done, finish the retro, we've got the task completed. We're ready for the next project. And even if there are many that are, that are happening simultaneously, there's a note, some, some, some information published that says, thanks for all of your help. These are the procedural changes we've adopted. This is what we're going to do now. And here's how our organization is benefiting from your effort. And it's okay to recognize folks through that process. Because again, I think about the many, many teams that we've worked with over, over these years. The better of those teams takes time to identify not only what they need to adjust, but then what they've adjusted and why that matters. Because as we, as we are so often to say, very few decisions are final. To be able to revisit those decisions and make sure those decisions are being incorporated appropriately is all part of the process. And it, and it weighs in heavily with successful retros and then the evolution of an organization post retro. Jerry, let me, let me jump in for a second because you mentioned the evolution of an organization. And this is something that I've, <laughs> I've been trying to wrangle for a little while in my own mind is some of the best teams or organizations that I've ever seen have a, a sense of a shared history and a narrative to that team that, that gives them a story. And I think in some way, retros and after actions are, are a subcomponent of what I feel there, which is to say, you can walk into a team and you can ask an individual how they think X thing went and they may give you their perspective. You walk 10 people away and you ask how they think it went. That person gives you an entirely different perspective. Uh, a retro is an opportunity to have a shared narrative. So all these different people that may have different perspectives or approaches to the work that you just did, you all now have this shared narrative of how did the team do and what's it going to do to change in the future? You can do that going back to going back to the timeline or the time investment of retros. I think leaders, some of the best ones that I've ever seen, do that in real time and at any different scale. So one of the sort of rules of thumb that I think we all subscribe to with retros is involve as many people as you need to who were involved in the event that happened. You want to gather all of that data. Mm -hmm. But when you can't do that, or if if time requires it, I think you can even do that at an individual level. And I've seen Terry do this in the past. I remember the last, the last leadership class that we had, Terry's out there. It's 1130, I think at night, and he's sending out emails to everybody on the team of just his perspective of the day. And that wasn't to modify anybody's behavior or anything like that. It was to, to in my, in my opinion, that gives everybody a shared sense of, 
okay, our core narrative right now is, is Terry's message. This is how the day went. These are a few things that happened. And I think we may need to do this tomorrow to change the events of the day based on the observations. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean, that alone is, is a mid-flight retro and it only comes from one person. That's okay. If that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to understand if there's someone out there listening and says, so, hey, so Terry's sitting up by himself at 1130 at night and he's sending emails and he's changing the day. The, the concept of to get to that point is like you talked about individual discussions. I think reflections from individuals throughout the course of a day, week, month, project, however that is, is incredibly vital because this allows leaders to, to get on a level with that person and just understand their perspective. So in the course of like in our, in our programs that we're developing and delivering that you attended throughout the course of a day, that's 15 hours or so, there's probably 30 of these individual interactions as well as the lessons learned and AARs of each of the events. And so there's a whole lot informing that, hey, these are the things that we excelled at today. Here's some areas where I think we've got some more opportunities to explore. And so tomorrow morning, here's how I want to reset our organization to really get at those. That's a whole lot of input to get there. But I think it is on leaders to chart that, right? Because I think if without it, there's an assumption that everybody has gathered as much information as you have. And that's many times that's nearly impossible if a leader has the, the time and space that they need. And so and then the other part of that is making sure that the organization is moving forward and you're developing this environment where you're setting the conditions to have a discussion about it before you make the decision on it. And then you make the decision and then iterate on that decision as you, as you need to. So I think it's extremely important to drive that. And when, when things feel loose in an organization, it's because often someone isn't exerting themselves into that space to tighten up a little bit. I like that. This was really good. And I've seen it, all of this in action too. So it's I've witnessed it. <laughs> so it's, it's super key. So rolling into, if we're good here, Rolling into what are the best practices? We've touched on some of these so far, but to kind of put them all in one spot here towards the end of this, what are the best practices associated with doing retros? Stacey, I'll take the highlights of this because we have covered most of these already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, item one is make it part of the way your organization functions, not an afterthought, but it should begin with the beginning of any project or program. As Sean mentioned, Feel free to make those iterative milestones where you're doing lessons learned or AARs for milestones, key events, any of those types of things. And then make sure that there's some documentation that's going on. One of the things that we really like when we see it is where you're getting close to, you know, a retro and all of the notes that have been taken. And what we try to get folks to do is problem or situation, observation, and then discussions and or solutions that they may recommend. And that gives and to get all those captured and then send those out for a read ahead so that people have some ideas of kind of what other people are thinking. And it's OK to attribute those or not, depending on the organization, so that you get into this process of the actual discussion. It's organized by either phase or component, and it discusses those key points, and it gives you something to really to, to focus your, your conversation on. And then as the, the retro occurs, as Sean mentioned, capturing who will do what by when and making sure that's tracked after you break up from that meeting and then deliver that. And then finally, just summarize what has changed, how the organization is going to evolve and then and move on from there. Uh, those are the highlights of my notes on this. Sean, your thoughts? 
I think the only thing that I want to add, Terry, is to say that summary is the most important part. The very end where you write a little paragraph that says, this is what we wanted to happen. This is what happened. Here's the key changes coming in the future. That is the thing that more often than not, everybody is going to read after the fact if you send this out. And so you really should get concise with that and say exactly what you want to say in that space. Because I know, you know, everybody fills up a page with all of the bullet points, everything everybody brought up, how we're going to adapt to it in the future. But in the end, you need that little synopsis that tells people at a glance exactly what that retro is going to do. I agree. And when that is all done, the other key part of important note as a leader is that you're not only informing your team, you're informing peer organizations and those people above in the in the org chart that are also have the responsibility to make sure that you're aligned with where they're going and often help you with things like resourcing and management of demands. So I think it's important to understand that 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 those messages you're sending are going a lot farther than just for your team and this the systems and processes that you're affecting directly. Awesome. And we will have notes on this too, that'll be attached to the podcast at the end. So people can kind of review a summary of what we're talking about here. And this last piece here, especially with these highlights, the summarizing that you were talking about, Sean, getting that out to everybody, just having a list here, a bullet list, if you will, of the important parts of a retro too. Any final notes, thoughts, questions from either of you before we close this out? There's somebody out there listening. This is going to say, so no kidding. Where was the pizza place? Was it good pizza or not? <laughs> so and you could just send that, you know, in some other form, but it really wasn't. Yeah, that'll be attached to the notes. That's okay. Really we will really include. Good. That's great. That, that, that small little place will, will be happy for the business. I'm sure. So, well, wait, so, so I have one last thing on your, <clears throat> on your sign off here, Stacy. So I think for a lot of folks who are, are starting their journey, maybe in leadership or, or maybe otherwise as well. There's an important aspect of work that starts to pop up, and that is the idea that you are starting to have agency over how things function and how things work. And that may be a new concept for you. It may not. But a, a retro or an AAR is really an opportunity for you to instill that value in everybody in your team to feel like, not feel like, but actually perform the process of changing the organization for the better. And if you can give that to people regularly, that that agency, I think not only does your job as a leader become easier, but your team starts to perform better because they know they can't just look at somebody else to help solve the problem. They know, hey, I got the power. I can make this thing happen. You may find yourself doing fewer retros in the future if you can give that to people, that sense of agency. Or yeah, they're going to start doing it themselves. They're going to start doing it. Yeah, <laughs> They're exactly. going to start doing it and calling for it before you even get a chance to. That's the dream. Yep. Yes. I agreed. I, I think, Sean, as, this, as, as you mentioned, this concept of ownership and, and how you apply that ownership and how do you bring people to believe and apply effort for the same goals you have and the organization has, you know, that's art and science combined, right? And and a lot of, a lot of emotion involved. And, I, and, and, you know, we dive into this with, whether it's an offsite or a workshop or any of those types of things. Cause what we know is every, every leader in every situation is very different and every team member is very different. But to understand, you know, how do I, how do I articulate where we're going and then 
collectively together, we figure out how we're going to get there. That's just a fantastic effort. And it, it speaks to why so many people get into leadership and those that thrive in it. It speaks to some of the competencies and attributes they have to apply in order to, to be darn good at it. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for doing this, for taking this from pizza to podcast. And for what a fascinating topic, though. I was excited to hear about this and get get talking about it. Thank you, everyone out there for listening. And we'll be back with more. And in the meantime, you can always reach us at our website, lsds.us, and Terry directly at Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at lsds.us. We'll also have Sean's bio linked to this podcast, along with the notes summary from what we've discussed here. I can get more information on his area of expertise there. And uh, again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Sean, for joining us. Thank you, Terry, for being here again and sharing your area of expertise as well. Thank you, Stacey. Thanks, Sean.